0: Welcome back to another episode of the Alternate Oscars. I am your host, Gabe Guarin, and today we are taking a break from the usual schedule. Instead, we will be doing another bonus episode discussing the 1944 David Lean film, This Happy Breed, which tells the story of an interwar suburban London family against the backdrop of what were then relatively recent news events, moving from the post-war era of the 1920s, to the gradual inevitability of another war and social changes such as the coming of household radio and talking pictures in the cinema. Joining me to discuss this film is returning guest Ronaldo Sosa. He was the guest on the 1930 episode, or you heard him gush about the F.W. Murnau film, City Girl. Ronaldo, welcome back. Ah, thank you for having me again. So, how was your day been? Like, how are you doing right now? Oh, it's, it's been okay. Like,
1: like uh, when I watched the film today and it's been like the first movie I've seen in about two weeks, because I've been watching, uh, doing other things. So yeah, and that's why I've also been like, not very active on Twitter lately.
0: Uh, so I guess I wanted to ask before before I asked you to um, discuss this movie with me, what was your familiarity with it? How much did you know about it? I only knew about it by name because uh, I know about David
1: Lane, like I've heard of his early films. I had seen In Serve* and Griffin Counter, which is a masterpiece. But I haven't seen I hadn't seen this and I hadn't seen Blythe Spirit* and oh I I had also seen *Great Expectations* but I'm not very familiar with his early work. I know more of the epics that he did later.
0: Uh, I'm not too familiar with his work. I saw *A Passage to India* a long time ago. That was probably the first David Lean movie that I ever saw, and. I saw Lawrence of Arabia for the first time a few months ago. I've also seen In Which We Serve, and... Oh, Summertime. That was the other David Blaine movie I've seen. yeah, I loved Summertime. Yeah, really good. Such a fun movie. And I still need to see Brief Encounter, (laughs) embarrassingly enough. But I think that this movie would probably be a good jumping-off point before eventually seeing that movie. Yeah, because so,
1: it also has to Johnson.
0: Yes. <laughs> and not just her, but some other people who would work with David Lean in the future. You've got yeah, like, the usual crew that he worked with around this era, Anthony havelock Gowan, Ronald Neame, John Mills. Yeah, John Mills. I think he's Good. worked with... Stan- he also worked with Stanley Holloway on Brief Encounter. Oh, yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. But he has a very small role in that. Oh, yeah.
0: So, yeah, I would imagine that this fits pretty comfortably into his um. 1940s output. That yeah, because he did a lot movie. of
1: domestic dramas back then. And then, yeah. like, around... Like, he started transitioning later in his career, and then after uh, Bridge the River Kwai, like, he never went back and just make epic after epic after epic.
0: Yeah. So, when watching this movie, what were your immediate thoughts about it?
1: Well, I'll just, I'll just start... Talking about the things that bothered me about it, and mostly it was the casting of the the younger people, because like they, especially John Mills, which is that's like my biggest problem that I have with Great Expectations, because he's supposed to be playing a twenty-something-year-old and he's like forty. He look he looks like he's, looks like he should be having children right now, and he's playing like a teenager or something. And also like uh. I forgot her name. The one that plays Quinny, one of she's like only three years old, younger than Celia Johnson, and she's playing her daughter. Like that, that really bothered me, but I I liked the film. I thought the story was well. It was well written. The story was good. I just I just didn't like the casting for some of the characters.
0: Oh, if I wanted to talk about Kay Walsh, I think that she was. She probably did my favorite performance from the movie. Like, Queenie was the character that I kept going back to.
1: Well, yeah, I agree that she was good. I just think that she was a bit too old for that role. And I, she had like one of my favorite scenes in the movie, which is like uh, when they are about to go to the wedding of her brother. And she's having like an argument with her parents and telling them like, that she doesn't want to be like them, that she wants to have a better life, and that he wouldn't know anything because he's content living the way he is, but she doesn't want that.
0: She wants something better. Yeah. Yeah, that is a really strong scene from the movie. And I just think that while... She- Is the most effective in realizing her own individual character's arc not that the others aren't like everyone makes their own contributions throughout this film and it feels like a singular piece and i think the scenes some of the scenes that So, some of the scenes that stood out to me most were, like, when they were at the dinner table arguing, that just feels like something familiar to me, and something that I have seen so many times, whether it be from any of my own personal experiences or just being in that environment or seeing that environment through other eyes and it seems like those who Lean and uh, his co-writers Ryan Neiman and me have a lot are able to give a sense of realism to the family interactions and also give some insight into like the mindsets of people in this time period especially in britain and how they acted in the surroundings around them and there's a really good sense of the location i got from this movie yeah, and watching definitely. it Oh, you go ahead.
1: No, I just—I was just gonna say that this felt like what Cavalcade wanted to be.
0: Yes, yes. Like,
1: this touching on very different like uh, historical events that happen and the way that it affects the characters, but but this is actually
0: well done. Where Cavalcade is just boring. <laughs> yes, I was absolutely reminded of Cavalcade, and ironically enough, that's another Noel Coward play that was adapted into a film. I didn't know (laughs) that yeah and you can tell if you're really familiar with Noel Coward's output and the themes that he touches on throughout his work and I found that he has a good feel for the complexities that are just a fundamental part of relationships, whether that be friendships or romances or familial relationships. Maybe not with Cavalcade, but his best work.
1: No, but who and, knows? Because you know that they always change things for the film. Maybe the play that that Cavalcade was based on was good and they just messed it up for the movie.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, who knows? But. Yeah, this definitely, this definitely feels like a better version of the themes that at least the movie Cavalcade was touching on. And I was also reminded of Mrs. Miniver mm-hmm. when watching this, because two very similar war-themed movies set in Britain that are meant to, like, raise morale during the war. And... Just like Mrs. Miniver, this movie, this happy breed, does have a bit of a propagandistic side to it.
1: Yeah, especially, I like, like the last ten minutes, when, yeah. like, the war is about to start, and the uh, the dad i don't re- sorry i don't remember the name of the actress aside from Sylvia johnson but the dad has like this big speech about how the how he saw how people how the british people were reacting to all the to the rise of fascism and that he was disgusted by that happening and that that's why he he was in favor of the war and yeah and he was like telling his sister That she's like a pacifist and she doesn't want anything. And so I'm like, oh, you're just an idiot.
0: Oh, yeah. Mm. (laughs) I guess I didn't mind it in this film because it didn't feel like it was drowning the movie the way that it felt like it was suffocating Mrs. Miniver. Like, I recently listened to the most recent Awards Don't Matter episode where they discussed Mrs. Miniver, and they brought up a lot of good points about there are two sides of that movie that felt almost at odds with themselves. Like, there's this more domestic drama where they have that flower contest, and little moments like Mrs. Miniver being able to go into a hat shop and just casually buy and wear a hat before the war hit. And I'll admit I appreciated that side of the film more so than the obvious jingoistic, rah-rah war scenes.
1: Yeah, and I don't really mind... Mrs. Miniver, and I, and I also don't mind it here because it isn't really the focus of the movie, they're more like about the family and how they deal with the things that happen. So I, I don't really mind it as much as I mind something like, uh like that uh, movie. I think it's Sense of Iwo Jima, that's just like a big ad for the military.
0: <laughs> uh-huh. Oh yeah, that's uh, Sands of Evil GMI is another film that I saw a long time ago when I was a teenager. And... Yeah. So, to be clear about Mr. Minerva, it's fine. I, I... Don't dislike it. I'll get into my thoughts later. Yeah, when I you have to do that, that year. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah. I would agree that the propaganda side Is at least palatable here because that's just an aspect of the movie that gives it some context I would argue. Even if you don't agree with what is being said you at least get it and I do appreciate that a a figure like Neville Chamberlain his reaction to the war and his general complacency was not exactly sugar-coated. And I'm just reminded of a lot of what is going on nowadays.
1: Yeah, and like this film felt very conservative for me, and like the, the values that it has, because the this is the character of Sam, who's the guy that marries one of the daughters later in the movie, and when he's introduced, he's like a super socialist, and he's like about the rights of the people, and all of that, and then he gets married to Vi, I think it is, like the youngest daughter. And she, and then he's a, like he becomes a salaryman and he starts working and he, like he, he conforms to society and that's like a good thing, later, because that's what Queenie says that he became boring like everybody else, and ever and, and that that's what she was supposed to do and she didn't but then she got punished for being herself and for wanting the things that she wants. And she became a little housewife by the end.
0: Oh, yeah. Um, I'll admit that's one aspect of the film. That through line, I guess if I gave it more thought, I would be more critical of it. And that message might understandably rub people the wrong way. And I guess I was invested enough in the characters and what was going on in the story that I didn't pay that much attention to it. But that aspect does feel very much of its time when it was much less cool to be a socialist and they were seen as, they would often be seen as crazy for having these beliefs that would never happen, you know. And we're still kind of having these conversations today. You know, there are certain people who were just Throwing around the world the words radical, socialist, far left, trying to scare people. Yeah. A movie like this, Happy Breed, does kind of conform to that idea, though not as extreme as some examples, I guess.
1: No, it's fine for it's time.
0: Yeah. So... Another aspect of the movie I really liked was the cinematography. This is a Technicolor movie, and... For it's time, especially, it looks stunning and gorgeous.
1: Yeah, and I heard that that was like the one of the, oh, that three strip Technicolor was not very available in Britain, so they had to like do a lot of digging to find like enough film stock to make the film, and that they used a different method for shooting, and that's why it looks so different from the Technicolor movies that were made in Hollywood, because it looks a lot less like the colors are not as bright as they are in Hollywood movies. It's more toned down, but not like, in a, not dull, but looks more realistic than than the Technicolor yes. that we're used to seeing.
0: Yeah. A lot of the Technicolor in uh, the 40s was in Hollywood, was used for escapism. I'm thinking like something like Meet Me in St. Louis, also from 1944. Which is by design very gaudy and just glowing fairy tale adventure. This happy breed uses Technicolor for realism. There are a lot of desaturated colors that actually look like real life, like the house. The color palette in the interior of the houses, they look real like something you would see I just remember a lot of nutty browns and just olive greens and the dark blues and it looks faded in a way that's appropriate but it's still pleasant to look at it doesn't look ugly by any means oh no it looks great
1: and it's also like really well framed, and like all the char- the way the characters are blocked in every shot, it, it looks almost like a painting every time. Like when you have like all the women sitting in the in the chairs and the soap in the sofa, and they're all like sitting and filling the frame. It looks it looks really like a picture, like almost a, like almost a painting of them there. And the way that the camera moves and like zooms in and out. And, like, the pans, it's all, like, you can tell that he had every shot of the movie planned out beforehand. And it wasn't just, like, pointing the camera at people talking. It was all very planned.
0: Yeah, that is definitely something I noticed from the film. Like, I guess the worst thing you could do as a filmmaker is be boring and uncreative with with your... shots and David Lean is certainly not that from the films I've seen from him like you can tell that he cares about how just simple shots look like are they engaging do they stand out just simple scenes of people talking to one another like will they stand out and they do here because of how all well blocked each of these conversation scenes are. And, yeah, it's just very nice to look at, and... I like how the color is used for the transitioning throughout time, because this movie span it has a time span of I 1919 think about, to 1939, 20 years. Yeah, 20 years. And I think the use of color does the job to reflect that and convey the passage of time.
1: Yeah, and like he, uh, David Lane was also, was very good at that because you can obviously see it in the epics that he did later in his career, like his prowess, uh, like shooting things and the blocking and like however, like making a film look good. But also like, it, like he was also doing that in his earlier movies when he was just making domestic dramas like this and Great Expectations and you haven't seen it, but uh, brief Encounter it looks gorgeous. And there's like one shot in particular that I won't spoil, but there's like, like most of the movie is shot very conventionally. Like the camera is very straight pointing at people and the, and not that it's boring, but there's like one shot when the camera like tilts. And it's like, so like, like it's almost shocking when you see it because it's so like in tune with what the character is feeling in that moment.
0: Yeah, definitely. So, what would you say are your favorite scenes from the movie? Well, like I
1: said, that scene before they go to the wedding, and they have the discussion, like Slade Johnson and 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 their and their yeah. daughter. Yeah, and well, the, there's also like the scene where John Mills is first proposing to her, and she turns him down. Like mostly the th- the scenes with Kate Walsh because her character is the most interesting of them. Like everyone else, pretty like standard. Yeah. Oh, and I also really like the scene when they find when they find out that about the car accident, and like the way that's handled that they have like like cheery music playing in the background. Like someone's hearing, listening to music outside and you hear, while well, they're hearing like this heartbreaking news and you hear like this yeah. happy music in the background. That
0: is such a good juxtaposition.
1: Yeah, and you don't even see them find out because they're like outside and then Vi goes out to tell them and then they come in and they don't even say anything. They're just like looking out into the distance.
0: Yeah that is such a good moment. Like, there's nothing, there's nothing Hollywoodized about it. Like, you would expect a bigger reaction from if this was made in Hollywood as a standard melodrama, but this is, that was a surprisingly frank and realistic depiction of an immediate reaction to someone's death. Like, sometimes you just don't even have any words to just to express your grief that scene was just it's brilliant for that reason and I guess we should mention that Celia Johnson is in this as sort of matriarch of the family. She would receive an Academy Award nomination for A Brief Encounter. And
1: yeah, which is like, like one of my favorite performances of all time. She should have absolutely yeah. won that Oscar in a cakewalk. She's amazing.
0: I haven't seen her in that movie yet, but Olivia de Havilland was excellent in the each is through each his own i
1: love that. olivia the Havilland she's one of my favorites i would give her like two or three oscars or whatever but that like there's not even a competition for me like Celia johnson oh, yeah. is like way above everyone else that year
0: yeah i look forward to seeing that movie but what did you think of her performance here
1: i thought she was good like she reminded me of Dorothy mcguire in a trick bros in brooklyn because she's playing like the same kind of character she's like the matriarch of a family, she like has to take care of the children, and she's very stern and very strict with her children, but also like very she cares about them a lot. It's a, it's a it's a good performance, but she she would do better things
0: like la- later. I really like that she was able to work within. A larger ensemble and didn't necessarily draw obvious attention to herself,
1: mm-hmm.
0: and she has this sort of weariness to her eyes, and oh, yeah. I just got this sense that there was this history behind her, and she just seemed worn down but not in a negative sense it added to her character
1: yeah she's really good at like facial acting like just doing things with her face and you'll see that when you watch brief encounter you'll see like a lot of that movie it's just a close-up of her face like just looking at something and like you can see everything that's happening in her mind just looking at her eyes
0: yeah I I still remember like that falling out scene between Celia Johnson and Kate Walsh when Celia Johnson basically disowns her daughter.
1: Yeah, when she finds the letter.
0: Yeah. And I think that's an effective scene for the performances from both Johnson and Walsh.
1: Yeah, but Kate Walsh isn't even in that scene because they just found they just oh. find a letter that she left after she goes out. Oh, and yes. she and, and Celia Johnson and her husband read it. Oh
0: uh, yeah. But yeah, it's It's just a great performance rumor. And I'm not sure I have any specific res- reference points, but it's just one of those Great performances that could have easily like faded into the background, but actually stands out in a positive manner because the commitment from every angle, from the acting to the writing, is just there in the character, and Celia is excellent. And What did you think about the other actors? I know you brought up complaints about John Mills and K Walsh being too old for their parts and-
1: Yeah, but, well, I did say that Kate Walsh was too old, but she was good in the movie. Like, her performance was good, but John Mills, I just don't like him at all in anything that I've seen him. Like, he's the reason that I don't like Good Expectations, and he, like, thankfully, he's only in a little bit of this movie, so he wasn't like a big problem for me, but I just don't like him as an actor. I don't think I don't like him. And I haven't seen Ryan's Daughter yet, which was the thing that he won his Oscar for, but I've heard that he's not good in that either. And I'm not <laughs> looking forward because that's, like, really? that's like three and a half hours and I, I don't have the time for yeah. that. <laughs> yeah. Um,
0: and that's another David Lee movie. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh I'm not sure what to think of. I haven't seen Ryan Do- Ryan's daughter either, and I'm not sure what to think of him playing village idiots, and <laughs> uh, I know that's not a popular one, by any means. And it has its fans, like some people well, like it, yes. for some reason. <laughs> yeah. And I thought Rose was fine, he didn't. He didn't stand out that much from the cast, but he was okay for what he needed to do. Um, I know that um, some people like his performance in Tunes of Glory, and he received he won an award at Venice for it. And I guess I need to see that movie. To, to yeah, I haven't his- seen it yeah.
1: either, but I'll, I'll watch it someday. Yeah. Like, that, that's, uh, isn't Alec Guinness in there? Yeah.
0: Yeah, I'll watch it for him. What did you think about Robert Newton as Frank? He was
1: serviceable. I mean, he was good, he, but he didn't really have much to do. He was just this supportive father, like the supportive husband. And he was good at that, but he didn't really have to do anything else or interesting.
0: I like that... Mm, I liked him. Yeah, I liked him too, I, but he, yeah. he doesn't stand out much. I guess I would be a bit more enthused than you were. but He doesn't draw too much attention to himself. And... The role isn't as... ...developed, per se, as some others, but... It is compelling on his part to see him as his father who's trying to hold his family, his family together, but not really succeeding. And you can see the sort of difficulties of coming out of the war and just trying to adjust back to normal life. And I really like the scenes with Stanley Holloway.
1: Yeah, they were fun together.
0: Yeah.
1: And they were, like, getting drunk. And then Celia Johnson yeah. comes down and like, tells them, like, you go home. Like, you go back to sleep. And like, Bleh.
0: Yeah. I think that was one of the scenes where Stanley Holloway's character, I think his name is Bob, shows support of... Uh, I think uh, his character show support in Nibble Chamberlain and his general ethos. hmm And that is a good scene for what it is. I wanted to bring it up because Noel Coward had originally played Frank and wanted to reprise the role in the film. But David Lean said he shouldn't play that role because of his public personas being witty and sophisticated and not at all like his lower class beginnings and mm-hmm. he felt that would be too much for audiences to believe or accept.
1: Yeah, I think he suspended he, disbelief.
0: Yeah. I think he made the right decision. I feel like having someone less recognizable, like Robert Newton. He was more able to sort of immerse in in the role.
1: Yeah, maybe. Like, honestly, I don't really recognize Noah Coward. Like, he was really famous at the time, but I wouldn't really recognize him now. Like, I know his name, but I don't really know what he looks like, so I probably wouldn't even have known (laughs) him.
0: I have seen images of him and, like, and I guess I've seen him in in Which We Serve, in which he did act.
1: Oh, yeah, he was in that, but I wasn't really paying attention to that movie. Yeah, yeah.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Um, wasn't exactly either. Uh, And then I guess I also saw him in a scoundrel, which um, I hated. In what? The scoundrel. I haven't seen that. Oh, It's a really bad movie, and you're not missing much. (laughs) But um, David Lean also offered the role of Frank to Robert Donats. But he refused the role because he disagreed, he objected to the final speech delivered by his character.
1: Oh, the one about the war, right?
0: (laughs) Yeah. Like... Yeah, he disagreed with that. So he was a he pacifist? Said, I didn't know that. Um, well, he wrote in a letter to Coward, rightly or wrongly, I believe it is just that very political irresponsibility that got us into another war.
1: Oh well, maybe I'm 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 not as upset that he has an Oscar now. He's <laughs> like a decent person.
0: Yeah, like, well, I, I've i liked Robert Donat in the movies I've seen him, so I can't get too mad at him being an Oscar winner, even if James Stewart absolutely should have won for Mr. Smith Goes to Washington, but I definitely get why he won, and I'm not mad at that win.
1: No, I'm not mad at it either, because my favorite that year would have been James Stewart in <laughs> the next year, so it's all
0: good. Yeah. So, what would this rank for you among David Lean's overall filmography? Oh, I, I have a ranking of, of the films of his that I've
1: seen, and I think I've seen nine so far. Yeah, I've seen nine, and it would be number five because like I have a number one Brook Encounter, then two, is Lawrence of Arabia, three, Summertime, three, four, Bridge on the River Quiet. then This Happy Breed, then Great Expectations, then Dr. Jifago, A Passage to, to India, and then last, In which resort
0: I don't have a specific ranking, but I think from what I've seen of David Lean, this would be up there, like, in the upper echelon. I just like the sort of style that this movie employs, and I just like these sorts of intergenerational stories, Mm -hmm. and complicated familial relationships, and just Showing just Ordinary events going on And There's just something about this movie that Feels Authentic in a way that Some other propaganda pictures From this era didn't Like This works better than something like In Which We Serve Because It feels like David Lean and Noel Coward put more time into developing the story surrounding yeah. the event,
1: and I think that also like David Lean had more confidence by now as a director, because In Which We yeah. was like a good co- co- uh, was co-directed by him and Noel Coward, but. Like when yeah. he made this happy breed, like he had a, a an image in mind of what he wanted to make, and he did that, and he maybe was influenced by what Noel Tower wanted to do.
0: Yeah, and I guess other scenes that stood out for me would have are like the Charleston dance and like seeing some of the first talking pictures like seems like those touch on a certain young adult's nostalgia maybe is that the right word oh yeah that scene has a really funny
1: line when they're watching the movie and like you know like the early sound movies are like a really awful sound and they're watching the movie and he's like oh i can't even understand what he's
0: saying (laughs) Yeah, <laughs> that is, yeah, that was a funny line. And do you have any uh, more no, final thoughts on this film?
1: Well, no, I, I just. I'm just glad that I watched because it's always really interesting to see, like, this early period in David Lane's career because it's now, like, known for the epics that he did for Bridge on the River Kwai and the of Arabia* and Passage to India and all of that. But it's it's really, like, interesting when you see his early career and how different, like, the things that he was doing were.
0: Yeah. It is... Interesting to contrast a film like this to something like Lawrence of Arabia, which is this big epic that has basically influenced every epic since, including his own.
1: <laughs>
0: and yeah. that is just big on every level. And no, the run times. It, it has these. Big moments, like, these big gestures, like, big emotions, just... And the no-prisoner scene, like, just a point to one. Like, that is him coming to a front on every level, like, just, just going there. And then, something like this happy breed, I would argue almost you can see how you can kind of see how the director of this happy break would go on to direct Lawrence of Arabia because it does yeah, feel like
1: like the technical precision is still there just on a smaller scale
0: yes but even on a smaller scale i feel like there is a level of ambition and yes yeah. a certain even though it's not exactly big feeling, there is a certain scope to it. Just inherent to the inter- intergenerational storyline and covering so much, even under two hours. And I do appreciate that it is, that a movie like this is capable of touching on so many real-life historical events, using them as backdrops for context to inform really compelling familial drama and how these characters are affected by these events. Yeah, with that said, this does make me more excited to see further and more David Lean movies like I know their lesser known films of it is like Breaking the Sound Barrier, Hobson's Choice. I think that the the, uh, the former has a performance from Ralph Richardson that won a lot of awards but didn't get him an Oscar nomination. So, And I'm always interested in those performances. I got a lot of awards but didn't earn, uh, but didn't translate to the Academy Awards. So mm-hmm. I do look forward to seeing that movie just to see what it's like.
1: Yeah, I, I plan to watch all of his films eventually. And I'm like halfway through because I, I don't know exactly how many he made, but like like 15 or 16, something like that. But I've seen nine already, so yeah. Yeah, definitely. Oh, and I also want to see Blythe Spirit because I've heard that Margaret Rutherford is really good in that.
0: Oh yeah, that's That's another movie I've heard good things about. And it won Best Special Effects at the Academy Awards. So, yeah. So, thank you, Ronaldo, for just agreeing to talk with me about this film.
1: Thank you for having me back so soon after the first time.
0: Yeah. So... How do we... Oh, yeah,
1: sorry, and before we finish, like, I wanted to ask you why you wanted to talk about this film specifically.
0: Oh, yes. <laughs> um, I guess it was... I just had a um sort of week-long break in between the regular episodes, and I figured I wanted to talk about a movie I'd seen recently, and I thought this would be... Good just for sort of a brief discussion mm-hmm. in terms of our general thoughts and some of the things it's touching on. And I do think that I do remember that this was on your um, uh, watch list on Letterboxd. Oh,
1: and, yeah. I didn't remember first.
0: Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, and I thought. I just haven't been able to stop thinking about it. So, again, thank you for appearing. uh, Thank you for agreeing to discuss this film with me. So, how do we find you on social media? Well, I'm on Twitter at rsantana2024.
1: And that's about it. I also have a letterbox account and that's like linked in my profile so you can find it there. But I don't really have anything else.
0: Good. Mm-hmm. So, um as for me, you can find me on Twitter at Gabe the Joker with two underscores. You can find me on Letterboxd at Mr. Hulo. You can find me on Instagram at Gabe Korn with an underscore. And be sure to follow the Alternate Oscars Twitter account at Alternate Oscars. I'm also a contributor for Keith Loves Movies. I'm currently writing a review for Baby Done, a New Zealand comedy starring Matthew Lewis, aka Neville Longbottom from Harry Potter. So, be sure to rate and review this podcast for visibility's sake. Be sure to subscribe, whoever you typically subscribe to podcasts. And until the next episode, sit back and relax, cheers and enjoy, and thank you for listening to the alternate Oscars. What's
1: has into you? I haven't done anything wrong, have I? Well, I don't like being taken for granted. No girl does. How do you mean, taken for granted? You can't hold hands with someone all through desert love and the next minute expect them to treat you like the Empress of Russia.
0: Don't talk so silly. Help me! I'm not going to stay here to be insulted by me. Oh, no, I'm not insulting you. Sit down. It's all my fault. I'm in the way in this house. I always have been. You need not think I don't know. It's a pity you stayed so long, then. Oh, Ethel, how can you? I'll leave tomorrow. I'll never sit in this house again.
1: And a good job, too. Oh, bye. take your grandmother up to bed,
0: for heaven's sake. Come on, Gran. I'll help you upstairs. Stop crying, Sylvia. I don't mean what I said. I'm an old woman, and the sooner I'm dead, the better.